What's up, everybody? My name is James Lawrence, the Iron Cowboy. I want to welcome you back to the Grit Show. And my trusty co-host, Tyrell, is not with me today. And as you know, my story and the people that I surround myself with, we're big on family. Um, and at the time of this recording, it's his daughter's birthday. And they're out on some amazing adventure, I am sure. But I think we've leveled up because I'm here today with my exceptional daughter, Lucy Jane, who many of you know from the stories I tell on uh, stages, on podcasts. Um, but today is not about us. And I came across a beautiful woman um, the other day when I was doing an event in Nashville. And her story just was one of those things where you hear it and you're like, that can't be true. That's not reality. That didn't happen to you. And so... I'm not going to talk very much. Um, we're going to have some questions for her when she gets through it. But but thank you for joining me today, Lucy. Um, this should be fun. Um, one of the, I'll just say this real quick. One of the reasons I brought Lucy on and wanted her to be my co-host today is because she just graduated college. And I'll say this as a proud father. One year out of high school, just graduated with her four-year degree. And so you talk about someone that is doubling down on sacrifice and showing one of the highest levels of grit that has ever come out of this family. Um, super proud of her. We love her. And I thought it'd be interesting to, to get the perspective from a super high level successful person like Brittany um, and my daughter, who's kind of at the beginning of her journey. And so I'm looking for a little bit of advice here um, to give a young person who's just embarking on the journey. So welcome to the show, Brittany Turner. Thank you so much for having me, James, and great to meet you, Lucy. Uh, grit is apparently your family ethos. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> good gosh. It's like matching DNA in the different fields. Good. It's just, just amazing what you've accomplished. So congratulations, and I'm excited to offer you and anybody else listening to this uh, some advice. I am also a hyper learner and um, very dedicated, I would say dedicated over driven, um, not naturally this super motivated person like I think you guys are, but I found my purpose really early. And that purpose is my drive versus just me waking up with drive. And if I can help you guys do anything, it would be to understand your purpose and start integrating it into your life. Um, I started my career, good gosh, I'll, I'll go before that. I wanted to be a missionary since I was 12 years old. And I picked that because uh, my grandma had shown us kids this horrifying video um, about sex trafficking. And it really bothered us so much. It was terrible. And I realized how blessed I was that that was not my life story. And the opportunity that comes with what I have access to just by being born in America. We grew up very America poor. Uh, it's very different than poor other places. Um, but the fact that I had access to internet meant I could figure it out. I could figure out what have other people done to be able to build resources and wealth to be able to make a way for more than just themselves and their family. And what I believe is that we are all divinely connected. I believe that you are called to a very specific purpose and what you 
are called to is very different than me because we're part of a bigger picture than ourselves, which is why I named everything in my life um, Ariel. So at 12, again, I didn't have all of those ideas. All I knew is I cared about saving babies. And <laughs> so I worked five jobs at a time all through high school so I could go on a mission trip every single summer. But on these mission trips, I expected this like holding the baby, beautiful, like wearing my long skirt, awesome, the light shining down from the heavens moment. And it's just this awesome thing. Instead, I was just pissed off the whole time. And I'm like, good gosh, I'm the worst missionary if I'm this angry the whole time. <laughs> I was furious because I saw suffering like I'd never seen before. And I knew that though it was wonderful to like play with the kids or uh, paint this building or do this thing, I wasn't really fixing their issue. And so at 17, when I was on another mission trip and I met a little girl who uh, was handicapped, physically handicapped from the sexual abuse that had happened to her before she turned one, I dedicated my life that night. I said, God, I don't care what it looks like. I want to be the one that comes back and makes this not a thing because the country that I met her in, um, that region of it, it was socially acceptable for fathers to break in their children. And um, like one out of every four babies died before they turned one. And if you live past one, your life is still pretty terrible regarding uh, sexual abuse. And when I looked in her eyes, I just knew she would give anything to have somebody care about her situation. And I didn't know exactly how it would play out, but that's the adventure of life is you start chasing these desires that God places in your heart. I believe they're placed in your heart as like a seed of a sign, like you're called to this. If it takes you to heightened levels of anger or sadness, then it's probably tied to your purpose and you have a grace to do something. You may not be the one that solves it for generations, but you can help even one person. And that one person could have been you. And one person is always worth doing it for, um, but you'll probably help a whole lot more people in the ripple effect of your life. So the 17, I got on my knees and I dedicated my life to helping end sex trafficking. And um, when I did that, I said, God, what does that look like? I heard loud and clear. I'm going to take you out of the mission field. I'm going to put you in business. And I was like, no, anything from that. Like God finally talks to me. <laughs> and I'm like, no, immediately. But uh, this guy ended up coming to this uh, school I was in. It was just a, it was a leadership training school in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina. And he said, did you know you could buy a house with no money down? And if you rent it out, for $900 a month, or sorry, if you rent it out for $1,200 a month, but your mortgage payment is $900 a month, that's a thing called cash flow. You get to keep that $300. You do that 10 times, you can do mission trips in Africa and you don't have to ask anybody for money. Um, I used to hate rich people, I think because Disney told us they're the bad guys. And I heard a bunch of twisted scriptures on how evil it is to be rich. When that's not true, I actually think it's the most selfish thing in the world to only be able to take care of yourself and only be able to think about yourself uh, instead of be able to be God's hands and feet when people need it most. So 
can we get the education? Can we start having the life growth, the mind growth, um, the resources growth, the physical taking care of our physical bodies to where we're not only able to focus on our disease, you know, or our sickness. So can we live outside of ourselves? Can we have this aerial perspective on how we play part in that bigger picture? And that really became my journey. So I learned about this thing called, you know, investing in real estate assets. And I, as a waitress, bought my first house at 18 years old because it was 2007, baby, and anybody could get a loan. <laughs> and in the process of buying it, I heard about this thing called flipping houses, which I'd never heard of before because I grew up one of six kids on a farm. We weren't allowed to watch TV. And you could buy a crappy house, put a lot of work into it. And when you sell it, you could make $10,000, which is a billion dollars to somebody who is 18 years old that wants to be a missionary. And if you save those chunks of $10,000, you could have the down payment on an apartment complex and make $10,000 a month. And then nobody can tell you, you can't save babies all the time. That's all I wanted to do. And I was like, wow. So I started reading all the books and I actually Googled what colleges teach you how to flip houses and very pro education, very pro school. And after two weeks of searching, no colleges popped up. And I'm like, this is bull crap. Like, you know, this is one of the top recurring things that all wealthy people do is invest in real estate. Why don't they teach this? And so I said, I guess I got to learn it another way. So my family um, rejected me hardcore for like two years because I did not go to college, which was all we knew is the right path to do. And I'm not saying anything bad about college. If they teach the class you want to learn, go. It's a way easier path than hopefully figuring it out between finding people on the internet. It's a much easier path, but that wasn't available to me. So um, as soon as I realized I can't go to college or college for this. And I ended up losing my scholarships based on the timeline. I was trying to find these real estate investors. This thing called 2008 happened. I don't know if you remember, um, a global economic meltdown specifically in real estate, <laughs> but I don't watch TV. So I didn't know. I thought I was just a failure. <laughs> So long story short, I uh, worked for about three years studying 12 hours a day, any real estate book I could get my hands on, end up waiting tables and extremely, I mean, my story is like two hours long. We don't have time for it. End up uh, at the end of my end, meeting somebody at the Cheesecake Factory, one of my guests and got offered to come to um, a real estate event. And they're like, we have like no young people and you're so self-studied, you're so impressive we'd love to have you there. It was awesome. They never hit on me, nothing weird. <laughs> and at that event, I had learned, no, you just have to say that because people are weird out there. You, got, you know, I took brass knuckles with me just in case and they got taken at the airport, but <clears throat> <laughs> I, I knew after three years of everything in my life failing and then going into massive amounts of debt that the biggest thing that no matter what's going on in your life, you still have to find a way to give first and be a blessing. And so I was finally in the room, finally in the room with people who were doing what I wanted to do. I didn't even care about real estate. I honestly still don't. I care about saving babies' lives. 
And if real estate can get me there, I very much care about real estate. And this was my path. And so I just wanted to be around. I didn't, I didn't even understand like all the science behind what happens um, with the people and the mindsets and, and what happens inside you when you're around other people, good or bad. You know, one of my favorite quotes, Pitbull, show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Good job, Pitbull. Anyway, uh, so I'm in the room with these amazing real estate investors. And I said, can I take you to lunch? And I pick your brain. And I prayed the last available dollars on my credit card would go through. And they started like inviting more and more people. But I overheard this guy at the end of the table saying, I've got all these deals piling up on my desk. I just need an assistant to teach how to flip houses so I can go all over the world selling courses on real estate investing. And I was like, I will be your assistant. And he's like, well, what assistant experience do you have? I'm like, I am a very good waitress, <laughs> but uh, I sold him. I sold him. So I had to move to this place called Nashville in two weeks. And I put my house on Craigslist and rented it out to these really nice guys. I took a job that was $600 less than the minimums on my credit cards that were, I had really stacked up because everything I touched failed. And I told my family, I've got the opportunity of a lifetime. This is God finally opening the door for me. The Red Sea has parted. And they're like, you're an idiot, da, da, da. And I was like, no, you'll see. And I never, I think one of the best things I did is I never did my path to prove anybody wrong. That's one of the dumbest mistakes people do is they live to prove other people wrong. And I'm like, you could just move and never see that person again. Who cares? Your opinion, their opinion of your potential, it really doesn't matter. Like only God can see the future. Humans can see the past and through the lens of their own fears and traumas. Why would I ever listen to a human on what's my capability? That doesn't make any sense. And and I've, I've pretty much not had people believe in me most of my life. I don't look the part. I've never been the right age or the right gender to be in the fields that I've been called to. And so I had to have that pretty firm early on is what are you called to do? What's the right vehicle to get you there? No matter who has seen someone that looks like you do it or not. So that's some encouragement to those of you who are the first um, trying something or the first in your family. Anyway, I moved to Nashville on a hope and a prayer. This is it. This is my big breakthrough. And the first rent payment that those guys paid me, their first month's rent payment bounced. So now I've got this mortgage payment. But it was my first tenant, so I believed them. I believed their problems back in the day. Oh, really? You're going through all this hardship. They never were going to pay me rent. Oh, so I've got this mortgage payment. I'm already $600 less than the minimums of my credit cards. And within 60 days, the guy I moved there to work for, they did away with the job position. They're like, oh, real estate's doing terrible. We're firing you. So the day I got fired, he was putting on an event and these loudest dudes in the room happened to be up front talking. And his name was Dr. Phil and Polly Pockets. And they were talking about all these deals they were doing. And I said, can I work for you for free? Because again, you still have to find a way to give first. I had to be around people who were actually doing the deals because that proximity, dang it, I'm going to learn it. And so they said, yes. And, um, I worked 18 hour days, 18 to 21 hour days for them. 
for almost nine months. That first day that I got fired, I ended up having to move into my car. Thankfully, I had gone to survival school and never told anybody that I was doing that. I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. And I became a very organized, fast learner because if my mom told you of all the six kids, I was like the sloppy one, the fun one, just the really goofy prankster and da da da, really care about animals and people. When you live in your car, you get real organized really fast. And I'm so grateful for that time because had somebody bailed me out, which I didn't want them to, but had they bailed me out, I wouldn't have this thing called survival creativity. And I'm giving this advice to parents right now. I'm not saying to like get your children in a bad situation, but what happened to me was I had to figure it out. This part of my brain opened up and I believe like connects to heaven to find a way over all of your fears, find a way over all your excuses to get something done that's bigger than you. And I have a confidence that a lot of young people and especially women, sorry to say it, but I can say it. Um, don't have. And I know if you drop me off anywhere in the whole world, I would make it. I would make it big. I'd help a lot of people and I'd find a way to be happy the whole time. I know I'd figure it out. I don't believe some knight in shining armor is going to come save me and I'm a damsel in distress. I'm not. And so that's one of the best things parents can instill in their kids is confidence. Raise them to be confident people that know they can figure it out no matter what happens to them in life. Because you can't you're never going to always be there. Hopefully you, you know, outlive your kids is my point. I'm sorry. Your kids outlive you. Hopefully your kids outlive you and they can stand on their own, whether or not you're around. So, um, I worked for them for free for nine months. And at the end of that, they said, all right, little bird, you're ready to fly. And during that time, they never paid me. I didn't ask to be paid. I barely survived by becoming a realtor and like finding deals for them and getting the commissions on the front end. But I would listen to their problems. He wouldn't even ask for help. I'd listen to their problems. I'd take notes. Okay. He hates his realtors because they don't work. <laughs> he can't find enough deals. He doesn't have enough investors. He, you know, whatever those things were that were frustrating the guy I was learning from named Polly. I would go try to solve those problems so he can keep me around. And the lesson there is nobody owes you anything, especially young people. If you want somebody's time, you want somebody to mentor you, find a way to create meaningful value in what they are looking to progress in life, their business, their nonprofit, whatever it is. Nobody has to mentor you. Find a way to further what they're passionate about and don't pick a mentor that you're not passionate about the same things. So just because someone's successful at business Find someone that is successful in the business you want to be in that has a similar approach like you want to have. So for example, if somebody made it, but they're really greedy, they wouldn't be the right mentor for me. I want somebody who made it and is still a force for good in the way in which they built wealth and what they did with it. So pick your mentors by who is where I want to be and did they make it in the same spirit in which I want to get there? That's some pro tips for you. They kicked me out of the nest was scary as crap. I think I've had diarrhea for over 10 years, but uh, just, just being afraid, but doing it anyway. And in the next year, I became the biggest rehabber in Nashville. 
And then the year after that, I became um, one of the biggest infill developers in Nashville. And within three years, I won Forbes fastest growing woman-owned company in the world, six fastest growing woman-owned company in the world, um, fortune number three, fastest growing urban company in the entire United States, male or female. And I ended up uh, buying an island seven years later. I became a decamillionaire within three years. And it was never even about money. I became all these things and I was able to grow so fast because I stayed connected to God and I listened for not how do I go make a bunch of money, but how do I learn the skills to be able to develop nations and create jobs so people don't have to sell their kids? Because I kept going on mission trips and I kept finding more and more impoverished areas. And what do people do in impoverished areas? They do desperate things. And moms that didn't want to sell their kids, sell their kids for freaking $25 because they have no other way. So they could buy a cow with that money and they can finally take care of the whole family. But there's so many issues that don't have to be anymore. And I would practice in the way in which I would do development. How do I get people to believe in rougher and rougher areas to where I had the template for transformation? What does it take for a person to transform and be renewed by, how, how can a person transform by the renewing of their mind? How can a place transform by the renewing of really the development, but also the spirit of the people? And we've gone from, again, one house to regions, and we go in after disasters and even help bring hope to hopeless places so that people don't kill themselves and or start having to do desperate things. How do you take the worst thing that ever happened to you and make it the best thing that ever happened to you? So I've got a significantly longer story, but I'm going to open it up for questions now because I just talked your ear off. Well, I, that was absolutely insane. Um, I mean, you could just see it on, on mine and Lucy's face as you were, you were telling your story. Lucy has a ton of notes that she took. You dropped so many nuggets and so many bombs right there. Um, you and I shared two very quick meals in Nashville, and I knew that that I had a connection to you, and I wanted to do something with you in the future. But um, doing that, even that short deep dive, like you are a special individual with a shared mindset that that I share, and and just so impressed with you, and I'm sure it resonates with the audience. Lucy, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go with some questions because okay. you're a young woman; she's an absolute powerhouse, and you. Like I said, we're taking ferocious notes. It was so fun to watch you just kind of absorb that and take it in. So I'm going to let you 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 do take over here for a minute. So the first thing that I kind of wanted um, to bring up is you mentioned that it was seven years. Was it? Is this correct me if I'm wrong? But seven years from when you started to buying an island, correct? Seven years from when I lived in my car. Okay, seven years from when you lived in your car, and uh, um, and how many hours? a day would you say you put into building at like during that seven years no less than 18 hours a day uh seven days a week but it was 18 to 21 hours a day every single day so i i love that you said that because i feel like there's there's two ends of the spectrum that people see with media nowadays like of course there's the overnight sensations and then there's those people that are saying oh i've been building this brand for 20 years like it's this or that and i feel like this story is an awesome example that 
it could take three to seven years, right? Because you said it was three years till you're successful, but you have to work during those three years, right? It's not like, oh, I'm kind of doing this thing for three years. And so I just love that you were an awesome example of that. Well, it depends on what level you're starting at and what you have access to. So the fact I was, I didn't have a wealthy family and I didn't have wealthy people around me to even teach me what to do. Um, that was a quote unquote setback. So I'm starting at a different place than somebody who grew up in a family talking about investing at the table, not making money um, evil, not, you know, scaring their kids that as soon as they get money, which oh, go to college and get a job, but be scared of money. It's freaking stupid. Be scared because it's going to make you a bad person, but work for it every day. So the parents who like breathe life into their kids and actually teach them the truth that money is nothing but an expansion tool of the heart. They have a bit of a different starting place than somebody who didn't have that. So it, it, it would take me longer to just get the mentality required to be able to build and keep wealth. Um, I didn't have investors. I did have an economic recession. I did like, I had a lot of things against me. So I don't know if it has to be as hard as I took it. I really also deep in my soul, um, I'd call it like a poverty spirit. I really believed that money would make you bad. Like I grew up with that mindset. And until I really saw these amazing billionaires uphold an entire nation after a disaster, because they walked in abundance. And that was like way after I had money. I, and until I like viewed it as diff, as different, then I was able to stop self-sabotaging. And your self-sabotage still might be that you have lots of money, but you can't keep it in your bank account. You have to put it in something because it's like, you, you're just uncomfortable having it. That is its own longer portion. But my point is, it, I don't know if it has to take as long if you have a different starting place, but are you willing to put in the work for your dream is really the question. And no dabbling is ever going to help you go to the next level. You can't dabble and go to the next level. I I love that you said all of that because, you know, one poverty consciousness is a real thing and people, whether if they find a way to make it, they will also attract a way to lose it as quick because they don't believe they deserve it. And like you said, money just magnifies greatness or evil. Uh, Money is, is simply a tool. And I love that money is in your hands because you are a tool for good. You said a term that I'd never heard before, decamillionaire. Um, that, that fascinated me. I love that. I never heard that before. Does that just mean tens of millions um, in it? I love it. I'm going to start using that if that's okay. Um, but the, the one, the couple, couple of things that really stood out to me, um, one, man, your willingness to work was second to none. And the, the opportunity to work, pay attention, everybody. The opportunity to work is free to do hard work is free it costs you no finances you don't have to have you just have to show up and put in the time and work yeah and and as we continue to evolve in history you know your journey was in in kind of the growing parts of it right in an economic economy you needed no money to educate yourself you just had to show up and be that sponge and absorb that I I get so frustrated beyond words when somebody says, "Oh, I didn't, I couldn't afford that. I didn't know how to learn that." I'm, no, it's 2022. Walk into a Starbucks, borrow what there's a, internet access everywhere. 
And you, you, I, I've been to third world countries. They have smartphones, like everybody does. And so the day and age and the excuse of, I didn't, I, I didn't know how to learn it. Dude, information is free. You okay. just have to be willing to show up and get it. So I love, love, love those things that you said. I know Lucy has a ton more questions, but I have one more. How is it those guys did not pay you a dime for nine months after of doing work and, and creating value? I would feel terrible if some <laughs> young person came to me and said, hey, let me work for you for free. Once they started to produce for me, I'd be like, hey, man, let me let me kick you something, please. I just that's crazy to me that they didn't pay you anything over nine months. Um, I didn't ask him for it. And well, I know. And the, I, you know, real estate's actually pretty expensive to learn. Um, I've gone to one, uh, for example, a weekend seminar that was $65,000. Yeah. And so by being, just being around, let me be around, let me find you deals. Let me this, that being said too, when I found them deals, I would get commissions and I sometimes would use it to, as part of a negotiation thing with the seller. But like, I got enough to like start eating again, at least. Um, but it, yeah, it, it just wasn't a thing. And a lot of people actually bring that up and they're like, are you mad at them? I'm like, oh, no, like the person who, who was the first person to ever believe in me, the first person to ever believe in me, my teachers, I'm a question asker and I wasn't ever mean, but they didn't like me asking questions. And in high school, I'm like, how does this apply to real life? And I wasn't being ugly. I'm just a very visual person. I need to know like, okay, if I'm an astronaut, how would I use, whatever, tell me how to use this. They're like, learn it for the test. So he was the first person. And when I remember the first day I actually um, was able to do a deal with them, I said, can I make $5,000? It, the project makes 45,000. I found it, the deal. I found the money. I'll manage the, the guys. I'll do all the design. I'll sell it. The, the commission is $6,000. All I want is five grand. Will you please give me 5,000? And uh, when the project finally closed, they gave me 3,000 and I was negative $865 in my bank account. So I brought it up to zero and I, or I brought it up a little bit more and I spent the rest of it to send them and their wives on a cruise to say, thank you for being the first person to believe in me, first people. Because I worked to learn, not just to earn. And that's some of the best advice I can give young people is it might not be the highest paying job, but find a path that gets you to really where you wanna go. That's the right next step for you. Don't look at the number, look at the education you're gonna get by who you're around. And does this job, it may not be your dream job, shut up and stop whining. Um, get in the zone of where you want to go. When I say shut up and stop whining, there's a really entitled generation right now that just wants to live this perfect dream life that's on Instagram highlight reels without any freaking work. You know, that's stupid. You're just not going to get anywhere without putting in the time and the energy. Does it have to be terrible or abusive or any of that? No, of course not. But you do have to put in the energy, just like you saw your dad do, to accomplish something. You know, nobody handed him that number. He had to get up every day and put in the work to achieve something. You have to do the same thing in whatever lane you pick. So much maturity, so much wisdom. The fact that you were willing to sacrifice and your payment was education. I imagine now being on the other side of that and, and having a different uh, perspective, you, you would have, in fact, paid money to be there yeah. knowing ha had you known what the outcome would have been and i love that you said we live kind of in an entitled generation I, I i try to get people to 
to to do different parts of my business and it's so frustrating when the newest graduate comes out and says i deserve this <laughs> and i'm like no no you don't and we're going to move on uh, because i'm going to uh, work with someone that has passion and doesn't feel entitled to something that they haven't er- earned yet and and so i really appreciate your perspective um something something else that i noticed is you're so literal about everything well it's like well they don't support you just move like your family doesn't support you and you're like whatever well I don't want to go to college you know and you're just like well I'm just gonna live in my car then and so what's kind of your thoughts for people who aren't literal like I'm literal like that so I'm like where's the semester that I was taking 15 credit hours for a summer block everyone's like why would you do that I'm like well because then I'll be done you know it's kind of that same thing but I mean, I go to like a singles ward and stuff and nobody I associate with is kind of that literal, but they still want to chase dreams and stuff. So how do you get there if you're, if you didn't start there? Does that make sense? Yeah. I think your, your plan needs, you never make a plan without a vision. It's kind of like getting in a car and hoping you end up somewhere great, but you, there's no map. There's no destination. You don't even know what to pack. So pick your destination. And, and so I teach this because like a lot of people want me to coach them in real estate investing. I am really good at it, but they want me to coach them in that. And I'm like, I would never coach you in real estate investing unless I knew it was right for you because you're going to want to kill yourself building any business if it's not right for you. And especially an empire. So I tell people to write their eulogy and don't take longer than 15 minutes to do it because it's the best tool I have for getting all the should out of your life. Yes. Get all the should out of your life. Should. Get all the should out. Lucy, you don't have to edit that out. She did it for you. All the should stuff is a society or generational expectation. And your parents are wonderful. Like they wiped your butt. They listened to your screaming and crying and all your annoyingness. You should definitely be grateful for what they put in to take care of you. But your destination and your calling is between you and God. So as you're an adult, having that ability to appreciate and be grateful for what your parents did for you, but know that the future direction comes from a, what I know I'm called to do, which again is just all those desires in your heart that you get to figure out and people who are where I want to be that specific information. So the best thing I can impart ever best advice I ever share is only listen to people you want to be like in that specific area. Your life needs to be like Build-A-Bear. Pick the best relationship advice from this woman, the best health advice from this guy, the best business advice for that girl, like only the pieces. And you still have to filter all of it through what you know is right for you. So if you write your eulogy, gosh, I just met a girl that won up to me. She makes people lay in their, in a grave and have somebody read their eulogy back to them. I was like, okay, okay, that's a lot. But they really want you to, we really want you to imagine at your funeral, what do you want that story of your life to read like? And it's not to impress anybody because you're dead. What mattered the most to you in your one chance on earth? And then if that's the destination of the person you became and the activities you did or got to serve with, how do we get, if that's there, hopefully in 40 years or 80 years, wherever you are in life, what do we have to be in the next 20 years? What do I have to be in the next five years? What do I have to do in the next one year? What do I have to do this week? What do I have to do today? What do I have to stop doing? Because if I keep engaging in that thing or with that person, it'll knock me out of the game for everything I want to do. 
And so this is like the essence of what I ever spend the time teaching because I'm not going to just give you advice if it's not right for you. You know, you've got to know how to filter because once you are past survival mode, everything that comes into your life is going to look like an opportunity when it could be a distraction if you don't have a filtering uh, device. So to me, the eulogy is the best way to know and get all that junk out. What was right for me? And if that is to be a stay-at-home mom, then freaking celebrate that. Be proud of it. Be the absolute best stay-at-home mom with confidence because that's what's right for you in that season. And nobody can tell you, you should be doing something else. And if it's to become a multi-hundred billionaire or trillionaire, whatever the thing is, then nobody can tell you, you should be this way even as a mom. There's no should. It's what's right for me. And that's what's fun about the whole journey is, again, we all play our own part. And if everybody actually did their calling, we would have no atrocities happening, no suffering, no abuse. All these things would be dried up because everybody's doing the thing they're called to do. And when you're doing the thing you're called to do, the essence of that thing is love. And all these evils don't take place in love and light. They're only darkness and fear. So. Um, I can't remember how we started on that, but that's the best filtering device I've got for finding your, your way and then designing your plan. Yeah. You, you, I could seriously listen to you for hours and hours. You're all quickly becoming one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, so, so re really, 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 really enjoying this. I don't want to stop. Would you have <laughs> um, I have one more. You can go if you want. No, no, go ahead. Um, the, so my last question was, you talk about like being afraid, uh, but doing it anyway. And I feel like people always act like they're, they're like, well, when I'm afraid, I'm going to do it anyway. But when they actually get in that moment, they back out because thinking about being afraid is not as scary as actually being afraid. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what's kind of your thought on how to break that down and escape it? I have two awesome quick strategies. Number one, I go, well, I'm going to die anyway, so I might as well do it. So I use this eulogy thing all the time. Um, Jeremy Newsom, who introduced us, James, mm -hmm. he tells people all the time, she probably says that five times a day out loud. Well, I'm going to die anyway, so I might as well. It's, a, it's so freeing. And that's why the people with terminal illness live the most intentional lives is because they know they're going to die. Oh, we're all going to die. So why don't we live like it? And, and that doesn't mean do anything reckless. That's saying like, how can I do this the way I really want to? And so um, I get freed up doing that. And then another one similar is I imagine myself at 80 talking to my grandkids saying, having to tell them a story and I am telling them the story. And then I'm like, well, do I tell them that I did this or that I didn't do it? Oh, that's the day that I just wimped out, went back home and watched TV. <laughs> or no, this is when I did that. So it's fun to like, Imagine yourself past that moment and how do I have to tell it? Because greatness is story told, not by the people who wimped out, but the people who rose up in that moment. I also have a lot of other ways that I keep myself uh, present enough to it. I have a tattoo inside my lip <laughs> that says no fear because I lived a very terrified life. I'm not naturally brave. And then on the island, the room that I lived in, the whole time I was developing, it was named courage. And so 
courage isn't the lack of fear. It's moving forward even when fear is present. Now I'll tell you, I'm probably one of the least brave people, uh, very nervous, deal with anxiety all the time. And I think that's just like a thing. And so I've created strategies to get me past that. Even naming my company, my nonprofit, all my companies, my nonprofit and the island, the word Ariel, it means to keep that big picture in mind, remembering life is not about getting lost in this moment. It's about remembering how you connect to the bigger picture. And so whenever I really wanted to quit, which was every freaking day for the first seven years, seriously, every day, and then at least twice a week for the rest of it, I still think about it because I'm responsible for a lot. It's a lot. And it is scary as crap. And every time I'm finally like, all right, I know what I'm doing. God's like, all right, next level. And then you don't know what you're doing again. (laughs) And so the reason I didn't quit is every time I really, truly wanted to and like planned to, I would see that little girl. I saw her eyes and I saw that terror in her eyes from the level of abuse that took place in her life. And I remembered I could have been her. I could have been her. And there's a responsibility that comes with the access I was born into, which just means that I have the ability to find internet. And I lived in a country that made it even humanly possible to, to make a way for others. And I could learn enough to be able to create enough to be able to make a way for more people that don't have the access to this opportunity. I don't believe in handouts. I believe in hand ups. But if I figured out what made America have at least somewhere in America have the ability to live a life of dignity, then how could we copy and paste the essence of that and do it more places? Some of the best advice I ever got from Richard Branson was, who wants to be a millionaire in a year or less? And like the whole room raised their hand and he said, take any successful American company and do it overseas. And it's like, wow. And what that means is once an idea is proved to work, it will work and it can work more than one place. You don't have to be the original gangster inventor. You can Google their Yahoo. You can Facebook their MySpace. You can Uber their taxi, like take what has worked and make it better. And by creating value in the world, money follows value. Seriously, I am just more and more in love with you. I don't know if I can say that because I'm happily married for 22 years. Um, but you, you, you embody courage. And I know you say you, you, you possibly lack that. And the whole time you were talking, I just kept thinking, what is our legacy? And, and I think, I think that is the, the eulogy. I think that's telling our stories to our grandkids. I think that's the stories people will tell us after we're long gone. What is your legacy and so as a listener guys seriously think about what you want to be known for what the people after you're long gone the stories they're going to tell around the 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 water station and the literally the legacy that you end up leaving and uh this is easily one of my favorite um guests on the show now you've 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 mentioned a few times you own a freaking island um, which is so mind blowing. I want everybody to just really understand living in a car, owning an island. And it's just a remarkable journey. And it's it's not about pounding your chest and saying, I own an island. It's the impact and the change that you do with that island. 
And can you, it's so special and I'm thrilled to be partnering with you um, in an event later next year that, that we'll talk about, but tell us how special this island is to you and uh, the mission behind it and some of the impact that this island is having and, and why, 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 just why? It's really hard to explain. I, I, I first even thought, I never even thought to have an island, but I remember I went to Africa and we had been developing out an orphanage and I went out there to help with the land deal, you know, create the site plan and all these different things. And when we came back a year later, even before we broke ground on it, we picked this spot because they were selling kids for $25. Every three months, the traffickers would come through and say, who needs money? And we want your kid in, in exchange. And so it was so impoverished that we picked that spot. But when we came back a year later, again, takes forever to get clear title. I saw that there was this bustling businesses, every, you know, everybody had jobs and all this cool stuff's happening like around the perimeter of our orphanage site. And I was like, what the heck's going on? And they said, well, because the Americans are investing here, this is now a really valuable part of town. And we're like, what? that was the hope and hopeless places concept. And I'm like, wow, you really can shift what's possible in these areas through real estate development. And so this started to noodle. And I said, God, how do I go from, you know, being one of the best urban developers in the Southern America, I purposefully went after Murder Acre, Stab City, like as a challenge to say, if I can fix this spot, <laughs> I can do Haiti and I can do other areas that have harder and harder issues. Cause I'm, since I lived in my car, I'm a templator. You take notes and you learn really quickly. And um, I said, God, how do I, how do I, how do I eventually do Africa? Because it can be so overwhelming. And I really want to encourage those who are called to things that seem so overwhelming. I mean, one road we were on, we passed eight for eight hours, slum after slum after slum in this part of Kenya. And one of them was a 2 million person slum. And I was like, God, how do you help this level of poverty? And I heard loud and clear, start on islands. And I'm like, islands, the heck am I going to do? Why islands? And he said, it's in some places can have similar type issues in developing areas and you can attract the top people in the world that have figured out these problems before. The top person that knows how to do clean water, the top person on um, energy, the top person on education, roads, government, um, all, all the healthcare, every issue that a developing, it's called developing because it's not developed into what has been developed, right? Mankind has had breakthroughs in all these areas before we've done it somewhere. If it can be done somewhere, it can be done somewhere else. So how do we create a master plan for the recovery of nations and therefore wipe out poverty at its root through opportunity and with dignity? Hopefully I'm not losing y'all. Tag team it. I can't do it all. And so God showed me this picture of buying an island and getting the greatest minds in the world to collaborate there and create new breakthroughs and templates for applying them to different places. And we can do more than one nation in our lifetime. We can do maybe 13, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I want to do a lot because every day that people have horrible options, they have horrible options. And those horrible options result in generational suffering 
and brokenness that doesn't have to be there. I mean, it's really pretty easy to make meaningful difference in some of these areas. Like somebody brought in cell phone sales and the whole region stopped trafficking their kids because they could sell cell phones. One opportunity. I'm like, God bless. So um, that was a picture God gave me. I thought, I mean, he never told me where. And so I started looking and looking and looking and um, I thought it'd be an island off of Haiti or something like that. But when it ended up being the BVI, I was shocked. And I, I'm telling you, I dealt with this poverty thing for a long time. And even when I, I mean, my net worth was over hundred million, I was like, still not believing I could really own nice things. I always, I always pictured myself as a missionary. And um, so I was like, Ugh. so when he said BVI and, show, and I found the, this amazing Island, which I will only tell you that story on the Island, the, the crazy behind the scenes and how insane that whole thing was. Um, I was weirdly like mad at God. I'm like, this place is too nice. It doesn't need help. And when it got completely annihilated by the strongest hurricane in the history of the Atlantic, I remember going down there as a first responder. I went down to find my friend's bodies because every we thought everybody was dead. Hurricane Irma, 2017. They literally brought 5,000 body bags for a nation that has less than 20,000 people. Like that's what the government ended up bringing in is we thought everybody was dead. Was dead. But um. I went there and I saw and I realized, oh, this is why you called me here. <laughs> and something crazy, because the biggest thing I didn't know how to do is if we're developing nations, how do you overcome corruption? And when there's a disaster, nobody gives a crap what color you are. Nobody cares how old you are, or what gender you are. It's the great equalizer, especially if you're bringing survival resources. And so the fastest way to really build trust and be a blessing is when people are the most down and out. So they learn to trust you that you're there for the right reason. So I ended up, um, I, such a long story, but um, I ended up being able, had to walk away from the island for almost a year and I just served the country. I used my media production company to retell the story of why BVI was worth believing in, investing in, and vacationing in so that people didn't have to do desperate things um, because the economy evaporated. When one place's main industry is tourism and they get hit by a hurricane, it really sucks. So in the same three-month period in my life, uh, I was married to a bum that never worked a day of our marriage. <laughs> like I just... He turned to destroy me and everything I ever built. Um, he got 70% of my staff to quit. I had <clears throat> some people really poisoned against me. I had people try to sue me. I lost almost everything I'd ever built. And I lost the island because it was only under contract at the time. And I had already put a couple million dollars into fixing it up. It takes forever to buy an island. So everything I'd ever loved and worked for, including this person I planned on spending forever with, uh, was gone. And I actually didn't want to live at that point, which was, a, it was just a rough time. Um, that by going back and serving people who lost everything, literally everything in their life was standing on like just the foundation of their home and still dared say that God was good. Like being able to serve that community in my darkest day saved my life. And I ended up templating how do you recover after a disaster? So I will tell the rest of the island story on the island to those who can come out and make 
James's event. It's going to be amazing. But I ended up turning the island into the most healing and restorative place in the whole world. Uh, it's a place that people come to find their purpose, to align with the person they're called to be, to find center and heal their body through food and activities and nature from the inside out and connect to other people in the most meaningful and authentic ways because that place is there to elevate you into your purpose because we know if we can do that, then the whole world is changed. And so it's been amazing because people said, that's not what people go to rent private islands for. People rent private islands to do bad things. And I said, well, I don't give a crap. <laughs> that's not what we're doing. And I want more good people. Like you said, I'm so glad that you have all this wealth. And I said, I want more good people to step into their purpose and to own these assets and to do great things with it and to help more people and to be God's hands and feet when people need it most, because a lot of people walking in darkness have a plan. And a lot of the good people are scared to have a plan. And that's just not true. It's faith without works is dead. You know, God says he's always with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And so he can't steer a, an anchored ship. You got to be moving. You're not going to get it perfect. But if you continue to go down this path, you'll realize everything was always free expansion. It was always for your good. It was always a blessing. So don't you dare label it a problem because if you choose to become a victor, not a victim, it can't even help but be for you. And so again, sometimes you got to get farther away from it to realize the blessing, but my incredible dream husband of a lifetime that I'm with now found his purpose and we found our love on the next disaster scene that I kept going to. And we now repurpose veterans on the island to be able to go do life-saving work all over the world, including rescue babies from sex trafficking. And he, again, was able to drop addictions and do all these different things and find his purpose, step into his leadership. And in the last 12 months alone, we've, we've, we rescued over 6,000 people in Ukraine alone with our veterans. Um, but I think that would be dead that is currently alive is over 1200 in the last 12 months alone um, with our teens that we've been able to raise up. And all of that happened because the worst disaster that ever happened in my life took place, but I chose to keep stepping up. You always have an option to step up or step out people. And you got to realize who you are as a person, even when it doesn't feel good and you look like an idiot, you keep stepping up beyond human reason. You keep stepping up and I promise it'll work out. So I live the life of my dreams. That doesn't mean there's not hard days, but the life of my dreams, the husband of my dreams, with the health of my dreams, in the place of my dreams, because it doesn't just happen. I was intentional about planning my life. And the root cause of all of my decisions is my purpose because I'm dang clear on it because it took the time to get clear on it. Most people don't take the time to plan their life. And I got to tell you, you can make a meaningful difference. You are powerful beyond measure, but nobody's going to plan it for you. And you don't want anybody planning it for you. You do it yourself. So happy to continue to share resources on how to do that. Happy to encourage you. And it's been such a pleasure to meet you, Lucy. I can see how, uh, again, greatness is a huge part of your family. And it's been so, so fun to hang out with you guys today. Well, what an unbelievable gift uh, this last hour has been. Um, just so many feels, so much inspiration. I I, I want to challenge every single person just to go back 
just hit replay and listen to that whole thing again. There was so many unbelievable nuggets. There was so many uh, insightful quotes. I, I could see and just watching my daughter through the lens of the camera, just her absorbing it and just the knowledge and the 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 the, the incredible lessons. Uh, wasn't that one of the best things you've ever sat through? Yeah, I feel like I'm just speechless. Like yeah. I don't, I'm like, I feel like I'm going to listen to that again and like write things down and hang notes on my wall so I can just like remember everything you said in my day to day to like apply it. Cause you listen to it now and we're all excited, but then like in an hour, what are we thinking? Right. So I'm like, Hey, we need, I need to like remember this. Well, the good news is, is you're going to edit it. <laughs> so you get to listen to it again, but again, what a gift to be able to listen. I'm so grateful for people like you that, um, have sought out wealth to make an impact, to make a difference. And, and, Seriously, the full circle for that is you own an island and now you're saving those babies and having that impact and working with veterans and the island is super special. Uh, we are going to be holding an event this year. I cannot wait to feel the energy, to experience that, to take people through the, an experience there. Can you tell everybody where where to connect with you, where, where, to, where to learn from you, where to grow from you? Where, <laughs> where, can, we, where can we connect? Thank you. Uh, well, at the Ariel BVI is the island's Instagram, uh, at Brittany Turner, Brittany spelled all jacked up. My parents thought they made up the name. So spell, spell it for us. Uh, B-R-I-T-N-I-E. Uh, so I'm on Instagram, YouTube. Uh, I've got some powerful talks that I took some of the greatest pain I've ever gone through and like, what did I learn? And then I turned them into like some short talks on there. So uh, especially those going through uh, abusive relationships. I've got some great advice on there for that too, of uh, courses and just trying to give back again, whatever you've overcome, you've got a responsibility to help other people go through that fire because you know the path out. And so I've looked to take the things I've gone through and give you the shorter path out. Um, but also would love to uh, see you at James event in 2023 and um, if you're looking to continue to find inspiration um, and elevating your life, we have different Elevate Summits, but uh, that's that's for specific areas in your world. Um, but looking to connect, again, it's at Brittany Turner on almost every platform um, because nobody else spells her name like me. <laughs> well, and they shouldn't because you are one of a kind. And I, again, I just want to express my gratitude. This is an unbelievable um, you know, you never know the conversations that you're going to have on these podcasts. When I started this, I've, I had no idea the, the road it was going to go down or the people that I was going to meet. And I just get, I now get very excited to sit down and talk to people because there's so many amazing stories. There's so much we can learn from each other. And if the pandemic taught us anything, it's about the fact that we need human connection. We need yeah. to get together. We need to have events. We need to have gatherings. We need to feel each other's energy and spirit. Yeah. Um, again, I can just see Lucy glowing and so, so impactful for this younger generation that yeah. in your words is, is filled with entitlement um, and is, is, is struggling. So hit replay, listen to this again, Brittany, I can't thank you enough. I'm excited to collaborate in the future. So impressed with you and all the impact that you've had. Ladies and gentlemen, she is the epitome um, and the highest example of grit and toughness. This was the grit show. Have a good day.